I did not grow up with my Mi'kmaq family. So many people like myself were taken away from our families and not able to grow up in our communities with our people. The urban Indigenous experience can be a challenging one. Living in the urban context often separates one from their culture, their practices and ceremonies, their language and their people. Urban Indigenous people represent a broad and diverse population in Halifax, known to the Mi'kmaq as Jibuktuk. When I moved to Jibuktuk, it was like an eye-opener. I was, it took a while for me to be adjusted. So when you're coming from a reserve to a city, the Fringer Centre is a community. Each individual has their own relationship with their Indigenous identity, but navigating questions about the self can be difficult when done alone. Thankfully, the urban Indigenous population in Jibuktuk isn't alone. In this episode, we will be exploring the lived experience of being an urban Indigenous person in Jibuktuk, a program which is empowering Indigenous women through culture and community, and the connection between culture and personal health. This is the Creating Communities of Care podcast. My name is Cheyenne Labrador. When you take away from children what they should be allowed to have to build who they are as people. This is Angela. She works at the Nova Scotia Human Rights Commission. She had a childhood that was divorced from her heritage. When you don't give them the same opportunities, they can't flourish and they can't be proud of who they are because when you take one part of that medicine wheel teaching away from our kids, so we have, you know, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. Well, when you take certain parts of that away, it throws everything else out of balance. I was brought to the French Center and immediately I met uh, Joanne, who was working at the French Center at the time she's retired, and Debbie. And I immediately felt like, well, okay, I'm going to be okay. This is Denise. She is a victim support navigator at the Mi'kmaq Native Friendship Center. I phoned my dad. I said, Dad, you don't need to worry about me. I'm going to be okay. Uh, I found my community. I found my place. I felt where I can belong. And that's for a girl that is very much close to her family and uh, connected to her community, that relieved a lot of my anxiety. You have those ties to, you know, no matter if you're from BC, if you're from the Yukon, White Ors, if you're in your, or you're Metis from Alberta or Winnipeg, or you're Mi'kmaq from, you know, Indian Brooks or Melbrook, the French Center gives you that community gives you those ties, you know, and it's, it's so important to have that. Because of Mi'kmaq people, we are very um, family-oriented, you know. We are definitely very tight-knit, and you can feel that in, in when you come to the center. The Friendship Center has opened its doors to the urban Indigenous community of Jibuktuk for over five decades, providing a place of comfort and safety and a feeling of home to those who need it. There is no reason to be afraid or feel like you're not Indigenous enough or you don't look a certain way, even though you are Indigenous. All of those things 
are barriers that have been put in place to break Indigenous people down. I know where I came from. I met my Mi'kmaq family when I was 16, and I learned very much then about where I came from and who I am and who my family is and our history. And I am a direct descendant of the chief Jean-Baptiste Cope, who was the chief who signed the Peace and Friendship Treaties in 1752. I know where I came from. So now I know clearly where I'm going. And I often hear from people who have these discussions with me. Oh my gosh, I've always wanted to go, but I, I just don't feel like I'm Indigenous enough. I'm not, I'm not Native enough. I'm not, you know, that, that in itself is from lateral violence. And I absolutely will not, I don't, I don't care who it is. I will never tolerate that. But my advice would be, if whoever is listening to this podcast, please hear that the Friendship Center is exactly that. It is welcoming. It is friendly. All they have to do is, you know, Google the Mi'kmaq Native Friendship Center phone number, call up um, Renee and Charlotte and all the beautiful um, Indigenous people who work there. They will connect you to the right people. In its lifetime, the Mi'kmaq Native Friendship Center in Jabuktuk has amassed over 55 different programs, ranging from childcare, housing, and cultural support services. But more than anything, the Friendship Center provides a sense of home and community. Like the days really varies. There's so much that happens in in run of the day. Of uh, you know, it could be having those calls from from community members that just need to talk. Uh, you might have someone coming in my door, just need a smudge. But then we have a moment where there's something, a crisis may happen where you have to intervene. Uh, and that's where the day where things are go very fast, like the Friendship Center has 55 plus programs. So a lot of my networking is right there in underneath the one roof. And, you know, we, we have this approach where we meet our community members where they're at. A lot of our communities are suffering with mental health and addictions. A lot of them are suffering homelessness, food security. A lot of them don't even know where they might be sleeping the night before. If the solution to the problem can't be found in the numerous programs provided through the Friendship Center, chances are it exists under the umbrella of another partner organization. This ensures no community member falls through the cracks. There's a lot of intergenerational trauma. You know, a lot of women may experience violence in their home or historic violence. Just alone, even coming forward to speak of that may be very difficult for that woman. You know, like she may not be ready to, to deal with it. Maybe she don't know what services are there from at the Friendship Center. So just walking through the doors may create some anxiety. It takes a lot of courage for a woman to do that. It takes time. And that's where it is meeting them where they're at. Understanding the trauma can't be understated in its importance. For many of the Friendship Center's clients, living with extreme trauma is an everyday challenge to overcome and plays a major role in their lives. 
when you have someone that come in with either their trauma from historic trauma, no matter, you know, if it's abuse or violence, or it could be any kind of trauma they experience. You know, anything could may trigger them. You know, it could be sense, could be, you know, how the room is sought up, could be lighting. So when they come in, you know, having that smudge going, you know, when I know someone is feeling distressed or feeling like, I'll, I'll just give them, give them a water, you know, a bottle of water, give them some tea, light a smudge, sweet grass, half for medicines. You know, we have an elder at the furniture center. You know, would you like to speak to an elder? We have like a counselor here, but it's just sitting with them, sitting with that person and letting them speak, empowering them. And that is empowerment for them right there. Because a lot of times, you know, with violence, they may feel that they can't speak about it. There's a lot of experiences that they encounter trying to maybe lay charges or go to the police or, they felt that they couldn't share their story. So we let them come in and we, we just give them what they need right there. You know, I'm not a counselor, but you know, as some elders, we have two years to listen. And you know, the creator gave us two years to, to honor what that person is telling, you know, is speaking about just listen to them, uh, let them speak. And right there, you know, you can tell just by speaking to them what they may need. They might need housing support. They might need to talk to our counselor. They might need mental health or addictions uh, support. You know, a lot of our community members feel too that if they are experiencing violence, they'd rather be with their partner. They don't want to call the police. Because of residential school and the 60s school, that fear alone of having the police come in, or you know, because of residential school, the, the police would be the Indian agents would apprehend the children. So, Immediately, you know, when child family service involved, that risk <laughs> is very heightened for them, that, that fear. Angela has experienced firsthand how the system gets so many things wrong, but it's given her the drive to make sure things are done better and through an Indigenous lens. The importance of this undertaking was made clear to her in a previous workplace. Often, it comes down to the opportunities that are or aren't made available to Indigenous people. Because of who I am, because of where I come from, I was not given the same opportunities in that work placement that I was at. And I loved because it was a position where I was able to work with our kids, our Indigenous kids. Many barriers were put up. We didn't have the same opportunities in terms of money to buy pieces that we need to do our teachings. I wasn't given the same opportunity to offer food. I had to buy that out of my own pocket. And just what they paid me showed me that I wasn't as valuable as other communities, as other people. That was a very hard learned experience for me. However, it taught me a lot of who I want to be and how I want to make sure that our children, our adolescents, our other women and men and our two-spirited people are given the same opportunities so that we can excel and we can kind of catch up with everybody else. Traditionally, over the past couple hundred years, 
we didn't have those same opportunities and it's still evident. And I mean that because I've seen it and I've lived it. Our kids have seen it. They're living it now. Angela is now working hard to correct the wrongs for the next seven generations. So our kids that live off reserve, out of community, really know nothing about their culture. So working with these kids and encouraging them as their mama bear, as giving them their, they're okay, like, I, I got you. You're right here. I, I'm not leaving you. You come with me. Let's go. I will come with you. And I do. For the last couple years, I've been going every Tuesday night with the senior youth. I've been going Thursday nights, showing up for the youth that couldn't come Tuesday night for whatever reason. I pick them up. I drive them. I take them from school. I drop them off at home. I make sure that they have a safe way. And the other good thing with that is when the kids and our people come to the center, dinner is provided food is provided. So that just shows them right there. Hey, we cooked for you. Come eat, fill your bellies. We have all these beautiful teachings. Everything you need is right here. We provide this. It just, on every level, it fills me up to see our people having the safety net to come and be part of who they are and learn who they are, learn who their ancestors were. And one line that I always say to them, I want you to be secure in who you are. I want you to be proud of who you are, because guess what? All your ancestors are, are standing behind you. Much of the work Denise and Angela do at the Friendship Center is made possible through the Creating Communities of Care project. For their part, the Mi'kmaq Native Friendship Center has focused their efforts on engaging women in the community and networking with other service providers to ensure that their practices are culturally specific and trauma-informed. I think what the creating communities of care is so, so vital to helping women or men, or men experience violence as well. We can't forget about our men. We're there to, at the grassroots, to really uh, support our community members in where they need to be, but also to spread awareness and have those conversations. So tough conversations is, is not easy to talk about violence, to talk about trafficking, because we know Halifax is the hub for trafficking and exploitation. That's another layer, you know, how to address that. So it's making sure that nothing about us without us. <laughs> If you're making decisions, you know, whether it's the justice, health, housing, whatever, and it affects the urban indigenous and African Nova Scotian, we need to be at the table. We need to be there. I may not be able to provide everything, but I'll make those contacts with people that may be able to help you about relationships, you know, with victim services, uh, with legal aid, with the police. With, uh, with Avalon or wherever, you know, I try to build those relationships. And that's so important in my work with creating communities of care because by building those relationships, you know, we can have those conversations to improve what's not working because there are a lot of challenges and barriers for our community members to get support. And, you know, it goes back to that trust. It goes back to the intergenerational trauma that our community members have faced. 
uh, racism, discrimination, colonial systems, it's not stopped to help. We, we need to change that. And that's why it's so important to what creating communities of care uh, partners like Mi'kmaq Legal Support Network, ABSW, Elizabeth Fry, uh, we all partner together. We all sometimes collaborate. We might have clients that we need to support. We'll call one another and, you know, we'll have those supports. We're there to support them, you know, and we we definitely have so many partners, so many resources that are doing phenomenal work with creating communities of care. It's changing lives. We may see successes in just one person or 10 people, it don't matter, you're reaching someone. We may not know how we're reaching them, but we're seeing that this project is, is so needed. From, you know, we have like with the marginalized community and population, um, a lot of those systems that our women are interconnected with, whether it's through justice or whether it's through ELT or homelessness, a lot of stories that I've, I've heard from a lot of these women that it's, it's very powerful. And, you know, because it's, you're seeing a woman that is going through her own trauma and then she's seeking support. In their efforts to expand upon and improve cultural services for urban Indigenous women, Denise and the Friendship Center's resident elder, Debbie Ison, decided to form a group of women from any Indigenous background to gather, receive teachings, shared lived experiences, and to support and empower one another. This program would become known as the Circle of Sisters. So many years ago, a friend of mine who is also Indigenous told me about the Circle of Sisters, actually. And so I asked to join this beautiful group that is incredibly important. And since then, I make sure I show up to everything we do. I know that it is incredibly important for us individually, but as a group, we learn from each other, we support each other. The teachings that happen, we can't get that anywhere else. And because we live here in urban community, this is kind of like the Friendship Center is our longhouse, if, if you will, in Jabuktuk. And uh, I bring a lot of other Olnu and Indigenous women to our group because I, I have experienced so much love and support and teaching through you and Elder Deb and other our other sisters, our Olnu sisters, our Indigenous sisters. And a lot of people are afraid to come to the Friendship Center because they don't know enough about it. So programs like this, our Circle of Sisters, is absolutely instrumental in us going forward in the future. The importance of having those programs culturally relevant is, is key to making sure that Indigenous community members are not falling through the cracks. There are so many barriers so many challenges that our people are facing to get support that, okay, it's not working. We need to change. That's why creating community care evolved. You know, we talk to our community members that are either survivors, you know, lived experiences. Their stories are so vital and so powerful. We can learn so much from them. 
And they tell us, you know, okay, this is what they experienced. So, all right, this is how creating communities of care started. We saw that a lot of our women with their own stories, some may have some traumas, some don't have that connection to culture. That's so vital in a person's, you know, as I call it, the medicine wheel. Because of residential school, because of intergenerational trauma, there's that disconnection to their culture, loss of language, ceremonies. So the Circle Sisters uh, came about when me and Elder Deb was driving to do a blanket exercise. And I was like really empowered by some of the committees that I was at and, you know, brainstorming was like, there's a different way how we can help our women. Connecting with culture, empowering our women. And we had that conversation and I was like, hey, you know, like, let's, let's do this to empower our women. Because when you provide them with culture, when you provide them with ceremonies, that gives them that deep inside where they feel their worth. They feel, uh, you know, like, yeah, you know, I am important. You know, I'm worthy. My voice matters. And just by giving them like a little seed and it grew and it grew and grew. You know, a lot of these women came out of their shell you know, some might be like not sure, but we wanted to make sure that they felt safe. No matter you're Métis, Inuit, First Nations, you know, you're welcome here. You don't have to be status or non-status, and it's non-political. I just feel so honored to be able to do this for the women as well, because I get something back from it. You know, like I, it fills my cup because there's just the seeing the growth in the women and learning about their culture, uh, you know, it's sparking an interest to know more about who they are. You know, this is where it begins. And it's a support for each other, as sisters out in sisters. You know, if someone is in distress or going through something, we have a chat, group chat, where they can talk about, you know, how to support one another. We have a lot of grandmothers, aunties there. We have women with lived experience, with different backgrounds, who are really there to support one another. After joining Denise and Deb's circle of sisters, Angela experienced a remarkable change in her life. Because I had the circle of sisters to confide in my sisters and, and elders and ask advice and what would you do? The teachings she's learned and the relationships she's formed have come to shape much of who she is and have built a foundation for her identity to sit proudly upon. That helped me through those few years that I worked in that occupation, that I, by myself, in that place, in that space, I didn't feel safe, I didn't feel heard or seen, and neither did our kids. This, when I moved into the Friendship Center in terms of connecting with the Circle of Sisters, that's when I felt like I was home. I knew that I was in the right place and that's where I belonged. The Mi'kmaq Native Friendship Center has helped reconnect her to her ancestors, her ceremonies, her language and culture. But ultimately, it has reconnected Angela with herself. When we are able to work with our people and in community, that's what helps us grow as, as who we are. But when you step out of that, kind of that two-eyed seeing, that Edo Optimunk um, concept, 
you have to step out of our Indigenous ways, in, in a sense, not losing who you are. But when you have to go out and work outside your community, you bring your whole self. And when you, when you have a community that fills you up, you're okay to do that. You can step out of that and go out into mainstream, if you will. And you can be who you are and stand in your truth. We know by working with our community what's working and not working. Violence is three times more likely for our marginalized community. When we talk about missing and murdering indigenous women, you know, when we talk about the final report of MMIW, a cause of action, we need to have those discussions because we're seeing still our women are feeling that they not being heard, that there's a, needs to be a change in, in the justice system with the courts. We're seeing the changes with MLSM, what they're doing with customary law. That's making a lot of difference. But also, I, I hope that our communities feel that they're able to come forward, you know, and they trust, they trust us with their stories and we can, we need to honor their stories. Of course, we have to do our reports and data, but we know what's working, you know, with the Circle Sisters or any other of our program because we're meeting the needs of our community. You know, and these women come together is either to empower yourself, but to support other women. But as well, we can build on that foundation of what else is needed here in Djibouti. And I hope, you know, a woman that's hearing this know that we want to honor her voice. We want to empower her. And, you know, we're not there to pressure her or judge her. You know, whenever that woman is ready, you know, knowing that she's cared for. When I go to work every day, no matter what, I will always be who I am first. I will not change who I am. I won't pretend to be something I'm not. If I don't know an answer, I'll go find it. But I can always know that when I walk into my place of work, I am who I am and I'm not going to, I'm, I'm always going to be proud of that. And I feel so, so grateful that I am allowed and I'm able to to be part of all of these programs because, you know, my father, my grandfather, my great-grandmother, they were not allowed to celebrate who they were. They were not allowed to, you know, learn language, learn our songs and chants. Because of residential school and many other reasons, our all new people were not able to be proud of who they were. And we are literally taking back our indigeneity going forward, this this has to just get stronger. And we have to bring more people in. That's what we do. We take care of each other. And so when programs are put in place, they can't be taken away from us. It's like causing a cultural breakdown when you take programs that are flourishing. You can't do that. Nobody can do that to us anymore. That cannot happen. That's all for this episode of Creating Communities of Care. In our next episode, we tackle the justice system, how victims become treated like criminals, and why the best solutions circumvent prisons entirely. If you heard your own story throughout this podcast and are interested in learning more 
about the Mi'kmaq Native Friendship Center or another partner organization, check out the show notes for links and resources. If you are facing gender-based violence in your own life, know that it isn't your fault and there are those who will help you. My name is Cheyenne Labrador. Willowland. We'll